0: You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this week we'll treat you to an excerpt of The Minority Report by Philip K. Dick. Philip Kindred Dick was born in 1928 and died in 1982. He attended Berkeley High School in Berkeley, California, along with Ursula Le Guin, although they didn't know each other at the time, and he briefly attended UC Berkeley. He sold his first story in 1951, and Minority Report was published in 1956. It's a story that questions the existence of free will. It's set in the year 2054, where identification is done via eye scanning, dreams can be recreated through computers, and computer images can be made into holograms. It's the story of John Adderton, a member of the Washington, D.C.-based pre-crime unit, where murderers, identified by people known as precogs, are arrested before they can commit a murder. John Adderton is accused of murdering a stranger, causing him to run from the pre-crime and prove his innocence. Here now is the opening scene of the Minority Report.
1: The first thought Anderton had when he saw the young man was I'm getting bald Bald and fat and old But he didn't say it aloud Instead he pushed back his chair Got to his feet And came resolutely around the side of his desk His right hand rigidly extended Smiling with forced amiability He shook hands with the young man Whitwer, he asked Managing to make his query sound gracious That's right, the young man said "'But the name's Ed to you, of course. "'That is, if you share my dislike for needless formality.' "'The look on his blonde, overly confident face "'showed that he considered the matter settled. "'It would be Ed and John. "'Everything would be agreeably cooperative right from the start. "'Did you have much trouble finding the building?' "'Anderton asked, guardedly, ignoring the too-friendly overture. "'Good God, he had to hold on to something. "'Fear touched him, and he began to sweat.' Witwer was moving around the office as if he already owned it, as if he were measuring it for size. Couldn't he wait a couple of days, a decent interval? No trouble, Witwer answered blithely, his hands in his pockets. Eagerly he examined the voluminous files that lined the wall. I'm not coming into your agency blind, you understand. I have a few ideas of my own about the way pre-crime is run. Shakerly, Anderton lit his pipe. How is it run? I should like to know. Not badly, Witwer said. In fact, quite well. Anderton regarded him steadily. Is that your private opinion, or is that just can't? Witwer met his gaze guilelessly. Private and public. The Senate is pleased with your work. In fact, they're enthusiastic. He added, as enthusiastic as very old men can be. Anderton winced. But outwardly he remained impassive. It cost him an effort, though. He wondered what Witwer really thought. What was actually going on in that close-cropped skull? The young man's eyes were blue, bright, and disturbingly clever. Witwer was nobody's fool and obviously had a great deal of ambition. As I understand it, Anderton said cautiously, you're going to be my assistant until I retire. That's my understanding, too, the other replied, without an instant's hesitation. Which may be this year or next year or ten years from now. "'The pipe in Anderton's hand trembled. "'I'm under no compulsion to retire. "'I found it pre-crime, "'and I can stay on here as long as I want. "'It's purely my decision.' "'Whitward nodded, his expression still guileless. "'Of course.' "'With an effort, Anderton cooled down a trifle. "'I merely wanted to get things straight. "'From the start, Whitward agreed. "'You're the boss. What you say goes.' With every evidence of sincerity, he asked, "'Would you care to show me the organization? "'I'd like to familiarize myself with the general routine as soon as possible.' As they walked along the busy, yellow-lit tiers of offices, "'Anderton said, "'You're acquainted with the theory of pre-crime, of course. "'I presume we can take that for granted. "'I have the information publicly available,' Whitwer replied." With the aid of your precog mutants, you boldly and successfully abolished the post-crime punitive system of jails and fines. As we all realize, punishment was never much of a deterrent and could scarcely have afforded comfort to the victim already dead. They had come to the descent lift. As it carried them swiftly downward, Anderton said, You probably grasped the basic legalistic drawback to pre-crime methodology. We're taking in individuals who have broken no law. But they surely will, were affirmed with conviction. Happily, they don't, because we get them first before they can commit an act of violence. So the commission of the crime itself is absolute metaphysics. We claim they're culpable. They, on the other hand, eternally claim they're innocent. And, in a sense, they are innocent. The lift let them out, and they again paced down a yellow corridor. In our society, we have no major crimes, Anderton went on, but we do have a detention camp full of would-be criminals. Doors opened and closed, and they were in an analytical wing. Ahead of them rose impressive banks of equipment, the data receptors and the computing mechanisms that studied and restructured the incoming material. And beyond the machinery sat the three precogs, almost lost to view in the maze of wiring. There they are. Anderton said dryly. What do you think of them? In the gloomy half-darkness, the three idiots sat babbling. Every incoherent utterance, every random syllable was analyzed, compared, reassembled in the form of visual symbols, transcribed on conventional punch cards and ejected into various coded slots. All day long, the idiots babbled, imprisoned in their special high-backed chairs, held in one rigid position by metal bands and bundles of wiring clamps. Their physical needs were taken care of automatically. They had no spiritual needs. Vegetable-like, they muttered and dozed and existed. Their minds were dull, confused, lost in shadows. But not the shadows of today. The three gibbering, fumbling creatures with their enlarged heads and wasted bodies were contemplating the future. The analytical machinery was recording prophecies, And as the three precog idiots talked, the machinery carefully listened. For the first time, Witwer's face lost his breezy confidence. A sick, dismayed expression crept into his eyes, a mixture of shame and moral shock. "'It's not pleasant,' he murmured. "'I didn't realize they were so—' he groped in his mind for the right word, gesticulating. "'So deformed.' "'Deformed and retarded,' Anderton instantly agreed." Especially the girl there. Donna is forty five years old, but she looks about ten. The talent absorbs everything. The ESP lobe shrivels the balance of the frontal area. But what do we care? We get their prophecies. They pass on what we need. They don't understand any of it, but we do. Subdued, Whitwer crossed the room to the machinery. From a slot, he collected a stack of cards. Are these the names that have come up? he asked. Obviously. Frowning, Anderton took the stack from him. I haven't had a chance to examine them, he explained, impatiently concealing his annoyance. Fascinated, Whitwer watched the machinery pop a fresh card into the now empty slot. It was followed by a second and a third. From the whirring disks came one card after another. The precogs must see far into the future, Witwer exclaimed. They see quite a limited span, Anderton informed him. One week or two ahead at the very most. Much of their data is worthless to us, simply not relevant to our line. We pass it on to the appropriate agencies, and they, in turn, trade data with us. Every important bureau has its seller of treasured monkeys. Monkeys? Whitworth stared at him uneasily. Oh, yes, I understand. See no evil, speak no evil, etc. <laughs> very amusing. Very apt. Automatically, Anderton collected the fresh cards which had been turned up by the spinning machinery. Some of these names will be totally discarded, and most of the remainder record petty crimes, thefts, income tax evasion, assault, extortion. As I'm sure you know, pre-crime has cut down felonies by 99 and decimal point 8 percent. We seldom get actual murder or treason. After all, the culprit knows we'll confine him in the detention camp a week before he gets a chance to commit the crime. "'When was the last time an actual murder was committed?' Witwer asked. Five years ago,' Anderton said, pride in his voice. "'How did it happen?' "'The criminal escaped our teams. We had his name. "'In fact, we had all the details of the crime, including the victim's name. "'We knew the exact moment, the location of the planned act of violence. "'But in spite of us, he was able to carry it out,' Anderton shrugged. "'After all, we can't get all of them.' "'He rifled the cards.' but we do get most. One murder in five years, Whitworth's confidence was returning. (laughs) Quite an impressive record. Something to be proud of. Quietly, Anderton said, I am proud. Thirty years ago, I worked out the theory, back in the days when the self-seekers were thinking in terms of quick raids on the stock market. I saw something legitimate ahead, something of tremendous social value he tossed the packet of cards to Wally Page, his subordinate, in charge of the monkey block. See which ones we want, he told him. Use your own judgment. As Page disappeared with the cards, Whitworth said thoughtfully, It's a big responsibility. Yes, it is, agreed Anderton. If we let one criminal escape, as we did five years ago, we've got a human life on our conscience. We're solely responsible. If we slip up, somebody dies. Bitterly, he jerked, three new cards from the slot. It's a public trust. Are you ever tempted to... Whitwer hesitated. I mean, some of the men you pick up must offer you plenty. It wouldn't do any good. A duplicate file of cards pops out at Army GHQ, its check and balance. They can keep their eye on us continuously as they wish. Anderton glanced briefly at the top card. So even if we wanted to accept a... He broke off, his lips tightening. "'What's the matter?' Witwer asked, curiously. "'Carefully, Anderton folded up the top card and put it away in his pocket. "'Nothing,' he muttered. "'Nothing at all.' "'The harshness in his voice brought a flush to Witwer's face. "'You don't really like me,' he observed. "'True,' Anderton admitted. "'I don't. "'But... "'He couldn't believe he disliked the young man that much. "'It didn't seem possible. "'It wasn't possible. Something was wrong.' Dazed, he tried to steady his trembling mind. On the card was his name. Line one, an already accused future murderer. According to the coded punches, pre-crime commissioner John A. Anderton was going to kill a man, and within the next week. With absolute overwhelming conviction, he didn't believe it. In the outer office, talking to Page, stood Anderton's slim and attractive young wife, Lisa. She was engaged in a sharp, animated discussion of policy and barely glanced up as Whitwer and her husband entered. Hello, darling, Anderton said. Whitwer remained silent, but his pale eyes flickered slightly as they rested on the brown-haired woman in her trim police uniform. Lisa was now an executive official of pre-crime, but once, Whitwer knew, she had been Anderton's secretary. Noting the interest on Whitworth's face, Adderton paused and reflected. To plant the card in the machines would require an accomplice on the inside, someone who was closely connected with pre-crime and had access to the analytical equipment. Lisa was an improbable element, but the possibility did exist. Of course, the conspiracy could be large-scale and elaborate, involving far more than a rigged card inserted somewhere along the line the original data itself might have been tampered with. Actually, there was no telling how far back the alteration went. A cold fear touched him as he began to see the possibilities. His original impulse, to tear open the machines and remove all the data, was uselessly primitive. Probably the tapes agreed with the card. He would only incriminate himself further. He had approximately twenty-four hours. Then... The army people would check over their cards and discover the discrepancy. They would find in their files a duplicate of the card he had appropriated. He had only one of two copies, which meant that the folded card in his pocket might just as well be lying on Page's desk in plain view of everyone. From outside the building came the drone of police cars starting out on their routine roundups. How many hours would elapse before one of them pulled up in front of his house? "'What's the matter, darling?' Lisa asked him uneasily. "'You look as if you've just seen a ghost. "'Are you all right?' "'I'm fine,' he assured her. "'Lisa suddenly seemed to be aware of Ed Whitworth's admiring scrutiny. "'Is this gentleman your new co-worker, darling?' she asked. "'Warily, Anderton introduced his new associate. "'Lisa smiled in a friendly greeting. "'Did a covert awareness pass between them? "'He couldn't tell. "'God!' "'He was beginning to suspect everybody. "'Not only his wife and Whitworth, but a dozen members of his staff. "'Are you from New York?' Lisa asked. "'No,' Whitworth replied. "'I've lived most of my life in Chicago. "'I'm staying at a hotel, one of the big downtown hotels. "'Wait, I have the name written on a card somewhere.' "'While he self-consciously searched his pockets, Lisa suggested, "'Perhaps you'd like to have dinner with us. "'We'll be working in close cooperation, "'and I really think we ought to get better acquainted.' Startled, Anderton backed off. What were the chances of his wife's friendliness being benign? Accidental. Whitwer would be present the balance of the evening and would now have an excuse to trail along to Anderton's private residence. Profoundly disturbed, he turned impulsively and moved toward the door. Where are you going? Lisa asked, astonished. Back to the monkey block, he told her. I want to check over some rather puzzling data tapes before the army sees them. He was out of the corridor before she could think of a plausible reason for detaining him. Rapidly, he made his way to the ramp at its far end. He was striding down the outside stairs toward the public sidewalk when Lisa appeared breathlessly behind him. What on earth has come over you? Catching hold of his arm, she moved quickly in front of him. I knew you were leaving, she exclaimed, blocking his way. What's wrong with you? Everybody thinks you're... She checked herself. I mean, you're acting so erratically. People surged by them, the usual afternoon crowd. Ignoring them, Anderton pried his wife's fingers from his arm. I'm getting out, he told her, while there's still time. But why? I'm being framed, deliberately and maliciously. This creature is out to get my job. The Senate is getting at me through him. Lisa gazed up at him, bewildered. But he seems like such a nice young man, nice as a water moccasin. Lisa's dismay turned to disbelief. ''I don't believe it. Darling, all the strain you've been under...'' Smiling uncertainly, she faltered. ''It's not really credible that Ed Whitmer is trying to frame you. How could he, even if he wanted to? Surely Ed wouldn't... Ed? That's his name, isn't it?'' Her brown eyes flashed in startled, wildly incredulous protest. ''Good heavens! You're suspicious of everybody!'' actually believe I'm mixed up with it in some way, don't you? He considered. I'm not sure. She drew closer to him, her eyes accusing. That's not true. You really believe it. Maybe you ought to go away for a few weeks. You desperately need a rest. All this tension and trauma. A younger man coming in. You're acting paranoiac. Can't you see that? People plotting against you? Tell me, do you have an actual proof?' Anderton removed his wallet and took out the folded card. Examine this carefully, he said, handing it to her. The color drained out of her face, and she gave a little harsh, dry gasp. The setup is fairly obvious, Anderton told her, as levelly as he could. This will give Whitwer a legal pretext to remove me right now. He won't have to wait till I resign. Grimly, he added, they know I'm good for a few years yet. It will end the check and balance system. Pre-crime will no longer be an independent agency. The Senate will control the police. And after that, his lips tightened. They'll absorb the army, too. Well, it's outwardly logical enough. Of course I feel hostility and resentment toward Whitwer. Of course I have a motive. Nobody likes to be replaced by a younger man and find himself turned out to pasture. It's all really quite plausible, except that I haven't the remotest intention of killing Whitwer. But I can't prove that. So what can I do? Mutely, her face very white, Lisa shook her head. I... I don't know. Darling, if only... Right now, Anderton said abruptly, I'm going home to pack my things. That's about as far ahead as I can plan. You're really going to... to try to hide out? I am. As far as the Centurion Colony planets, if necessary. It's been done successfully before, and I have a 24-hour start. He turned resolutely. "'Go back inside. There's no point in your coming with me.' "'Did you imagine that I would?' Lisa asked huskily. "'Startled, Anderton stared at her. "'Wouldn't you?' "'And then, with amazement, he murmured. "'No. I can see you don't believe me. "'You still think I'm imagining all this.' "'He jabbed savagely at the card. "'Even with that evidence, you still aren't convinced.' "'No,' Lisa agreed quickly. "'I'm not. "'You didn't look at it closely enough, darling.' Ed Whitwer's name isn't on it. Incredulous, Anderton took the card from her. Nobody says you're going to kill Ed Whitwer, Lisa continued rapidly in a thin, brittle voice. The card must be genuine, understand? And it has nothing to do with Ed. He's not plotting against you, and neither is anyone else. Too confused to reply, Anderton stood studying the card. She was right. Ed Whitwer was not listed as his victim. On line five, the machine had neatly stamped another name Leopold Kaplan. Numbly, he pocketed the card. He had never heard of the man in his life.
0: Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture and the arts. All brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.